This is the AOS Career Podcast, part of the Bone Bee Orthopedic Podcast channel. The series is hosted by the chairs of the AOS Resident Assembly and features conversations on professional development and growth opportunities within the field of musculoskeletal healthcare. Welcome to today's episode of the AOS Career Podcast, where we will be talking about professional development through policy advocacy. My guests today are Catherine Hayes, who is the lead lobbyist at the AOS. Thanks so much for having me. And Dr. Sarah Nelson, who is a current PGY-5 at Walter Reed in Washington, D.C. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to talk about this subject. So on this podcast, we have talked about a variety of different ways to improve your professional development through leadership, through finances. And today we're going to talk a little bit more about advocacy, a timely topic as this week was Orthopedic Advocacy Week, the second one the AOS has sponsored. So I'd love to jump right in there and ask Catherine, what is policy advocacy? What does that mean to you? And what should our listeners know about it? First of all, just wanted to thank you so much for inviting me to speak on this topic. It is by far my favorite topic to speak about, getting people involved in advocacy and why it's so important. There are a ton of organizations out there that lobby on every issue that you could think of, but there really only is one organization that lobbies on musculoskeletal health, and that is the American Association of Orthopedic Surgeons. So really right off the bat, really important to be involved with the organization, have your voice heard internally, and then give us the tools that we need to go to Capitol Hill, to go to regulators and talk about the things that are important to us. So everything from access to care, to removing administrative burdens, to medical education debt and making sure that we get that solved. These are really things that collectively we together can help solve. That's awesome. I'd love to know just how you got involved in lobbying. So I started off working on Capitol Hill. I was a staffer for Senator Arlen Specter. I worked for the Senate Judiciary Committee. And I remember meeting a lobbyist and everyone in the class was like, how do you sleep at night? Why are you doing this? You are what is wrong with this country. And I was just intrigued. I'm like, you can just go right up to these lawmakers and just ask them for what you need. And I really took that away and got involved and figured out how to make the transition to lobbying and fell in love with healthcare. And how did you get involved with AOS? I've been with AOS for 11 years. I started off as the most junior lobbyist and orthopedic surgeons, I think, as a group are the most educated and fascinating and respected physicians that there. And so I just have stayed and have really worked hard to build up our brand and our credentials on Capitol Hill. But I'm curious to hear from Dr. Nelson. I actually don't really know how you got involved with advocacy. So I got involved in medical school. We had the medical student section of the AMA talking about GME positions. There not being enough slots for graduating medical students. It was led by medical students and the members were all students. And so it was kind of felt a little bit like the blind leading the blind. We did go to Capitol Hill. We met with 
what I didn't know at the time was more like junior staffers and tried to lobby our point across. And I think we used too much medical jargon and really didn't make the point that I think we were trying to make. And when I got into residence and this position came up and I started looking into the PAC, started looking into the Office of Government Relations, and this seemed like a great learning point for me. This time I could actually learn from people that have been in the field for a long time. Last year, I actually participated in the first Orthopedic Advocacy Week, and it was such a great experience. One of my learning points was how much medical jargon we use and how little any of these people on Capitol Hill understand about just the day-to-day things that we deal with. For example, I set a randomized control trial, and afterwards, the one of the other senior attendings on the call with me was like, you can't say that. They don't know what that is. So that was eye-opening for me in general because you can say randomized control trial to anybody in medical school, and we would get it. We would understand how much work it takes to run one of those trials. But you say that to someone that's on the Hill, and it doesn't mean anything to them. Yeah, I think it's a great point. My husband works in finance, and I also have no idea what he does every day. But people think they know what doctors do because we help people. And if we're surgeons, we fix things. But what that actually means to somebody who works in the government doesn't mean the same thing to a medical student, a resident, a patient, explaining it in words. So many of these staffers who write the laws and then when they're implemented incorrectly or not working as they intended, they seem rather surprised about it. And it's interesting to have those conversations. Arguably, the more boring parts of our job like billing, coding, writing notes, documenting. But if we don't do those things correctly or appropriately, then it affects your practice, it affects your ability to get paid. And I think it's important. Dr. Nelson, I'd love to ask you a little bit more about some challenges that you've faced in trying to promote advocacy within the orthopedic community, particularly with residents. I think we're all still learning what it really means. So I'd love to hear your perspective. That's such a great question because this is probably one of the biggest things that I hurdles that I deal with. And so I think first response that I get a lot is I'm going to work in academia, so it doesn't matter. And I just think that's so false because first, there's not that many jobs in academics. Most people who graduate are going to be working in private practice. So you are going to be dealing with this more likely than not. And then let's say that you are lucky and you do get a position in academics. The hospital treats you as a surgeon based on how much you make for the hospital. For them, a lot of times it is the bottom line. And us as orthopedic surgeons, we do create a good amount of revenue for them. And our patients are generally on the healthier side, and then they get discharged from the hospital. That's how arthroplasty surgeons are able to run two rooms. You start cutting the reimbursement for arthroplasties, I guarantee you the hospital won't let you run two rooms. Oh, you wanted like your 7 a.m. start instead of the typical 7.30. The only reason they're willing to think about letting you do any of those things is because you make them money. You make them more money than you cost. And then ultimately, research funding comes from RVUs, comes from funding, comes from everything that you make as well. So that's why it's not just, I think, in terms of payment for ourselves that we're fighting for. Unfortunately, to a certain extent, we are fighting for reimbursement to the hospital as well so that we can further progress the research and the care for our patients. Otherwise, without that money, we really aren't able to do that. Catherine, I'd love to hear from you what the top three hot button issues are that you're working on on behalf of orthopedic surgeons. 
There's a lot going on, particularly on Capitol Hill right now. But if I were to narrow it down to the top three, I would probably talk about prior authorization. The Ways and Means Committee passed out of committee our prior authorization bill that we have been working on for nearly four years. We're very excited about that. It got a strong vote. It has a strong co-sponsorship in the Senate as well. So we're really hopeful that will get down the pike. We're also working on reimbursement. I think Dr. Nelson hit the nail on the head perfectly when she described how reimbursement affects every single orthopedic surgeon. And so we are working very hard. There's a couple of cuts that are potentially coming down, as well as some expirations in MACRA, some bonus payments that are set to expire by the end of the year unless Congress intervenes. Finally, the third issue, it changes day to day depending on who we're talking to. We are working really hard to attract more attention to the SAVE Act, which is pretty brand new legislation. It elevates the penalties for assaulting or threatening to assault a healthcare worker. Increasingly, we hear from our members and all healthcare workers, they're scared for their own safety. And so we're hoping that drawing attention to this and passing this kind of legislation into law will help. There's also a scope issue in the Senate where they're trying to allow nurse practitioners and physician assistants to treat federal workers' compensation cases without physician intervention. And that's very concerning to us as well. These are the issues that we are discussing during Orthopedic Advocacy Week and likely will be the issues that we bring to the Hill when we go for NOLC. So, Dr. Nelson, I know you participated in Orthopedic Advocacy Week last year and this year from August 1st to August 5th will be the second annual. Can you tell us a little bit about what you did and what you learned during that time? One of the things that I learned was just how much headway we can make when we all work together as orthopedic surgeons, going to Congress, talking to them about issues that are important for us. The thing about advocacy is that one person or a couple of orthopedic surgeons don't make as strong of a point as many orthopedic surgeons nationwide. The same thing applies to the PAC. The more you come together and work together in terms of talking to members of Congress, the greater depth and breadth of reach you get and in advancing the issues that are important to us. And also, it was really quite easy. That year, I was still a resident. And besides taking off the one day for Hill visits, which I think we aren't even asking for this year, it just took a couple minutes of my time every day to not only learn a little bit about each issue, but also connect with other orthopedic surgeons and advocate for our specialty. And how do you think being part of this Advocacy Week improved your professional development? I was able to connect with a lot of orthopedic surgeons in my area, people that have been involved in advocacy for quite a while. And with that, I was able to get involved in some other orthopedic associations, some other events that were going on. Someone said this to me actually last year at NOLC. It is for your professional development and networking. It's not that hard because I was talking about how small talk can intimidate me, especially being a minority in this field. I don't talk really about sports that often. I don't talk about these things. And so They said, it doesn't really matter what you talk about. It doesn't really matter if you say much more to somebody else, but it's actually just showing up, seeing these people over and over again. You make these connections and people remember you. And that helped me be more comfortable in general with networking. 
it's great to hear a little bit more about your experience. And it seems like there are opportunities to get involved, not only at the national level, but also at the state level or some more local levels. Catherine, would you be able to tell us a little bit more about the opportunities for surgeons to get involved with advocacy? Yeah, so there are tons of ways to get involved. We have the NOLC every year. It's in person in D.C. It is a closed meeting, so you have to receive an invite to come. But as a resident, you can complete our Health Policy Milestones Project. Your state can sponsor you to come to NOLC. You can also participate in grassroots alerts outside of the Orthopedic Advocacy Week. We send grassroots alerts pretty regularly through the year asking you to contact your member of Congress and vote yes to vote no on a bill. The process takes just a few minutes. You may or may not receive a response back from your member of Congress, but that doesn't mean that your voice isn't heard. As a staffer, I was that person who wrote the emails that you get back. And what I said to the constituent probably did not always make sense because I received tens of thousands of emails a day that yes, that please vote yes, please vote no was counted and tallied and put in a spreadsheet at the end of the day. Learning the issues, giving to our PAC, those are good, easy things that you can do to get involved. So a question for both of you, what opportunities do you think the Academy provides its members that allow them to develop professionally within this world of advocacy? I think in addition to the networking, it provides you to quickly get information about different advocacy subjects or about different bills through the newsletters, something that normally for us would take quite a while to sift through and understand. I think just reading a little bit about it every day, you start getting a a better understanding of what's going on in, in Congress in relation to our practice. And then ultimately, being a member of the PAC, you have opportunities to get to know your members of Congress so that you can meet them and speak with them about different policies that you personally care about. And I would just add, no, I never went to medical school. I don't know what skills make a good surgeon, but the skill set that I think Dr. Nelson was touching on, the small talk versus the not small talk and what to say and all of those things, I think that the skills that we help our members develop through advocacy can take them in many careers. It's learning how to interact and influence people, some of whom may be very different than you and have very different thoughts than you about something. Breaking down really complicated topics, as Dr. Nelson mentioned, into easy sound bites, being able to be succinct and talk about very abstract ideas and put them into real world examples, I think is really critical. It's something that we help do. And even just learning how to ask, especially as women, sometimes it's really hard to learn to ask for something that you want. And so learning how to ask a member of Congress or a staffer for something, even if it's just sponsor this bill or sign on to this letter, But even in advocacy, there are other asks. There are personal goal asks, career aspiration asks that you learn how to make. And I think all of our opportunities that we're able to provide and for really any career path would be important. So we've had other podcasts where we talk about Advocacy 101 and a little more about how to get involved and what it really means. But I think I'd love to talk to you both about how advocacy ties to professional development and what that really means and 
what skills or experiences or lessons you've had while being an advocate can translate into being a better surgeon, being a better advocate, being a better communicator? I think that we get so bogged down in learning the science and the technical parts of our field that sometimes we forget that our patients are not like us. And I think being involved in advocacy and needing to speak with members of Congress, you really gain the skills that help you speak with patients as well because you realize just how much medical drug we use. And your patients may not tell you when they don't understand what you're talking about or that they don't fully understand the system that you think is just secondhand, second nature to you. So I think that being able to communicate with one around you, especially your patients, is important, not only your patients, but also hospital administrators, because not all of them are doctors. Learning how to speak the same language as whoever you're communicating with when you're trying to advocate for yourself is definitely a skill that I feel you can gain through advocacy because if you're advocating for yourself in the hospital setting, you have to talk to a hospital administrator. So maybe you need to talk business. If you're speaking about healthcare policy, you need to speak government. We're talking to your patients, you have medical, you're speaking to a colleague, you have different, a different language for each interaction. Catherine, I'd love to hear your perspective as well as someone who's not a surgeon, but works with us all the time. I would just add the other key part of it is just learning how to make an ask. I think there's so many times where I walk into a meeting with other lobbyists and you go on and on about a problem, but you don't have a solution and learning how to advocate for what you need, but then to also identify what it is you need and what that person can do to help you. I think is a really important skill set. Skill of negotiation. Critical, I think, for any situation where you have to make a compromise, both with our patients, as I said, like at the hospital, with the government, and even just getting a job. For residents, that's something that we do not do very often. Our jobs are what they are, so we don't have a lot of negotiating power. But I think this is a good opportunity or an entree into that realm with advocacy that we can build that skill set. I want to thank you both, Catherine and Dr. Nelson, for coming on and chatting with me about advocacy. And it's been really eye-opening listening to your perspectives. Can you give our listeners a bit of an idea about how to get involved with advocacy? So the easiest thing to do is to read those emails and sign up for Orthopedic Advocacy Week when it comes around next year. Send the grassroots when you get the alerts. We do a pretty decent job of keeping our Twitter updated. So make sure to give us a follow on there or if Instagram is your weapon of choice, we do some Instagram as well. Follow along, reach out to me if you have any questions. Let's get more involved in advocacy. Before I give you an answer, I actually just want to make a plug about how all of this ties together and how actually I met you, Dr. Tedesco, through my position as the PAC fellow and then getting introduced to the resident assembly. All of them are really easy ways to hone in your leadership skills, your communication skills, just being a member of the PAC and coming together working towards a unified goal. And then also through the resident assembly, there are leadership positions that you can apply for through the committee appointment program, the CAP, or getting involved through the health policies committee of the resident assembly is also available to you as well. We have a lot of leadership opportunities available to us. And I do believe that the attendings do wanna hear our input. And I highly suggest that everyone get involved. 
Yeah, and there are positions available on the Resident Assembly Health Policy Committee. So if any of our listeners are interested in applying, they can visit our page on the AOS website and apply. Thank you both again for coming and talking with me. And thank you to our listeners for taking the time out of your day to listen to our conversation. And we will see you next time. Thank you so much. Thank you. It was really fun being on. Thank you for listening to this episode of the AOS Career Podcast, part of the Bombi Orthopedic Podcast channel. For more information on this topic and to hear other conversations on professional development, please visit aos.org forward slash the bone beat.